whatever you're thinking, whatever you're feeling, even when it feels like you're the only one, you're not. And so I, I like to be vulnerable and especially, especially on social media, right? Where, where you have this image of perfectionism. I like to share the vulnerable moments and when things aren't going well for me, because it's important for people to see that so that they also know they're not alone. Life isn't perfect and that's okay. <laughs> this is Veronica Lopez and welcome to Chapters of My Life podcasts. So what is Chapters of My Life podcast? First of all, I want you to imagine your past life. Right, where should I start? I'm Daniel Ludwig, trainer and leadership coach by profession, and I'm always fascinated to look back in life and turn your life stories in form of a book for other generations to learn from, but also for yourself as self-reflection and to gain new life energy. It's a challenge itself, and frankly, not everyone has thought of this. As we always think, when we get older, we should write our own life book. But in fact, we have so many experiences ready to share with others, achievements, failures to learn from, positive and negative life transitions, which in the end lead to the person we are today. This Chapters of My Life podcast is an inspiring collection of life transitions packed into a podcast audio book format, capturing the willpower and belief of people during important life-changing decisions. Super excited to publish the Chapters of My Life episode 36 with Veronica Lopez. She is a certified career and life coach who helps successful professionals achieve their goals quickly and easy. But she is so much more, not just a coach, also a recovery attorney, thriving divorcee, former digital nomad, American expat in Germany, and, and, and. In fact, in her life book, Do What You Want, she puts us on a journey throughout her life. We uncovered five chapters in her life, from playful innocent to fearless love. Her life book, as she said, is almost like a travel book, guiding you on a journey to find what really fulfills you. In other words, connecting the dots between coaching and well-being. Just a heads up, this interview took place remote, as unfortunately our first recording few weeks prior couldn't be used because of background sound. So this time we have a much more clearer background and no notes. So very glad to have Verika sharing her life book and her story. So enjoy episode 36 with Veronica Lopez. All right, Veronica, welcome again to our recording. Thank you. We had our very first recording a couple of weeks ago, um, but because of you know the background noise we had uh, of that, I believe it was an ice machine, we decided to redo it again to make sure that the sound is very clear and everything. But now you're in a different location, right? You're not like yes. in Munich. Where are you right now? I am in Chicago, Illinois. I am visiting family and friends for a little while. So how is the situation in Chicago right now, COVID-wise? It's pretty normal. I don't know about the numbers, but all I know is that we're not under lockdown. Restaurants, bars, shops are all open. People can dine inside. And a lot of people are vaccinated. So it's pretty normal life. Okay, that's actually, it sounds like a different world, right? You flew in a, yeah. a different planet. Yeah, I flew to a different planet. I actually got vaccinated. So 
I've been spending time with friends and I had I ate inside of a restaurant the other night and it felt very strange but very nice so it's something where you need to get used to probably to the yeah old yeah. life and something like this interesting so I mean in terms of like normal life when it comes to let's say library or something like this are the libraries open as well in Chicago or I imagine they are, but I'm yeah. not one to go to libraries, so <laughs> not, not often. So I don't know, but so, they probably are. Yeah, most probably they are. So, you know, um, Veronica, I mean, as I mentioned, like in the, in the previous recordings as well, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I mean, we know each other from the Tuesday as well in Munich from the co-working space. And one thing which I noticed in the very beginning, you know, your kind of background story where you said, you know, you were a former attorney, um, you're coming from a non-coaching background as well. Um, so you kind of made that shift from, you know, one profession towards a complete different profession, you know, kind of a 180 degrees uh, shift. And that's actually something which I really want to explore as well in our conversation as well. You know, how could your life book look, uh, look like or what is your life book looking like when you made that shift? You know, what uh, made you decide to make this shift and what you aiming for in your next life chapter as well so okay. that's very excited and uh yeah let's begin are you ready i'm ready let's do it let's do it all right so <laughs> veronica i mean when it comes to the library you know um do you have a favorite section in the library where you say i want to go there right now i want to go there and i want to explore that type of books do you have a specific section you usually go to travel travel and adventure Travel and adventure. Why? Why travel um, and adventure? Yeah, well, I just really enjoy traveling. Um, and for me, traveling and adventure go hand in hand. Um, in part, just because when you're traveling, when you're experiencing a new culture, experiencing probably a new language, new cuisine, that's all, all the newness of it uh, to me means adventure because you're kind of delving into something that's new. Mm -hmm. and different so when you look back a couple of years ago what was that one type of adventure combined with traveling you don't forget then like a moment um, in the past where it's like that was not just a travel trip that was a proper adventure well to me the first thing that comes to mind is actually my a, a whole year I dedicated a full year to just traveling. So I think that entire time frame and that entire experience was more, more than just travel um, and did, did go into a pure adventure and not just, not just because of the travel bit, but also because I was traveling with a group of people. And so, yeah, that was just, I'm, I'm forgetting now your initial question, but that's, that's the first thought that came into mind. Like, this was more than just travel. This was fully an adventure. This was fully like a life experience yeah. when I spent 12 months traveling. Yeah, like, like the past um, memory you had from like, kind of an adventure and uh, um, travel as well. I mean, yeah, I mean, as you say, like you when you say like spending it with other people as well, that is kind of an adventure itself, sharing the time with others. Great. So, I mean, when it comes to travel and adventure section, you know, there is in the library, there is quite a lot of, books, you know, with all type of different categories, calendars, and so on. If I see you in this section, would you say your life book, if you write a story or your book about yourself, would you say 
you would place your life book in the same section, travel and adventure? That would be a super flattering thought. I, I'd like to think that my life could be in there. Um, and let's just say, yes, I can picture my life book in that section. And then perhaps it would be in the guide section. And that might be actually how coaching sort of ties into uh, my career in coaching can tie in because I, I it, as a coach, I help in some ways guide people through their own lives. Mm -hmm. So when you mean the guide section, you mean travel guide section? Or yeah, a travel life? guide section. Ah, so it would be like a travel guide book, right? This okay. is what you do when you get to this city. This is what's fun. This is what to avoid. <laughs> These are my <laughs> learning lessons. <laughs> so you actually transfer that kind of traveling into a coaching, you know, like coaching guide as well. So this is where you should go in that kind of situation, in that kind of location when you are. And this is the support you need. Yes. In your yes, life just journey. a lot of suggestions. <laughs> <laughs> I offer up all these suggestions based on my experience and you can take it or leave it. So it's like, a, if I can see that a kind of, a, I mean, tr travel guide for me, it's kind of a, um, a guide who, um, kind of a life journey guide as well. You know, it's kind of the journey of your life and you kind of guide them as well. And this could be then under the coaching section. That's interesting. So yeah. travel and adventure and then slash guide section is something where I would find your life book. Yes. Interesting. So, um, and you say that the book is all about, or probably your life book is all about kind of guiding people, you know, in a specific direction. Um, and I'm taking that book out of the shelf, you know, and looking at it. What do I see on the front cover? Yes. You've already asked me this question, but it's like a brand new question again. Yeah, what, 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 what shows up on the cover? Um, This is interesting. Not a lot is coming to mind. So my default is probably always just an image of me. Actually, okay, I'll pull this. I'll pull this image out. Um, me getting a piggyback ride from someone <laughs> just <laughs> like with a huge smile on my face. And the reason that has come in, that is coming to mind is because I was looking through old photos and I found a photo where a friend was giving me a piggyback ride and my face was just like, pure joy expressed um so yeah that would be a good cover photo <laughs> so like a joy you so you you yourself like big smile a joy yeah very joyful moment smile yes nice so literally when i take the book and i see that front cover i can see quite a lot of positivity as well right yes yeah sending a lot of energy out okay interesting so when i let's say um i'm opening the book Mm -hmm. You know, in every book there is this thank you section. Um, who would you dedicate your book? Or who, or, yeah, who would you dedicate it to? I, I would dedicate it to my parents. Uh, my mom specifically, because she's always been very supportive. So if I were, for example, like writing a book, she would be the one sort of cheering me on, right? Be like, you can do it, keep going. And when it, in times of frustration, like keep going, I believe in you sort of thing. So she would be my cheerleader. And I would also thank my dad because 
um, he, my dad has a saying, and it's better, it's better explained in Spanish. It doesn't sound as cool in English, but I'll say it in English. And it's, it's simply do things when you can and not when you want to. And his perspective is coming from, he's, he's physically disabled, and so he can't do a lot of things. But if he had known that he would be disabled, he would have done more when he had the chance, not necessarily when he wanted to, but when he had the opportunity to. Um, so I, with, with that sort of phrase in mind, that, that was actually like a big motivation for me to move to Germany. That was a big motivation. It comes up a lot, right? Like, let me, let me do things while I can do them. They may not always be when I want to or because it's inconvenient, but if I can do it, then I'll definitely try to. So yeah, my parents both serving as motivation. Mm, I can hear that out. It's when you say that, you know, when you can do that, then maybe perhaps also not waiting for it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you that's can a do good it one. Now. Just yeah. not waiting. Interesting. Yeah. So, you know, in, in, in every book, when we now go towards the next page we have that table of content mm -hmm. and um i mean you see the different chapters in you know chapter one two three and so on um if i see your book you know a big smile and a joint front and i'm kind of in the in the adventure section travel section guide section mm -hmm. what would i read in the first chapter in your life book First chapter in the life book, yeah. Um, well, since it's in the travel section or travel adventure section, um, sort of tying it all together, maybe the adventure, sort of the adventure of being <laughs> a short, curly-haired, spunky girl <laughs> in, in the city of Chicago, right? What that experience looked like and specifically within the context of school. My, my upbringing is very much defined by the school that I was at because I, I jumped around a couple times growing up. Mm -hmm. So how were you when you, if you maybe remember or how do um, people remember you when you were young, uh, being raised in, in Chicago? Yeah, when how I was- remember you? When I was young, and I would say young in the sense of before I turned, I don't know, probably like eight or nine, I think before that time, I was very energetic, very lively. I liked to sing, I liked to dance, I liked to perform. So very lively, engaging child. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you say singing, dancing, do you remember like moments? Oh yeah. I mean, I used to, I used to, my cousin and I used to make up dance videos and do dance routines together. And we would pull in one of our uncles and he would play the guitar while we were like making dance videos. Were they published? Or were they just no. <laughs> If they are, I would never show them. <laughs> so the, if I remember, I mean, the time and that would be around the M MTV time, right? Where you have the MTV music videos and you. Um, actually, I think even MTV was a bit after that, but or, or maybe mm -hmm. it's it's possible. I kind of, I'm okay. not 
good at keeping track of time, but certainly it was influenced by something. So it's quite possible that MTV was around and we were trying to do dances and music videos and stuff. So when you say you were, yeah, I mean, when you say dancing and the kind of videos, what songs were you listening <laughs> in that age then? That's a really good question. I think we were probably listening to really, uh, I think at that point, hip hop music was really popular. Ah, okay. Um, and then I, I should also say like my background is is Latin. So my, my father's Mexican, my mother's Guatemalan. And so we grew up, I grew up with a lot of Spanish music too. So just think of like cumbia, merengue. So um, I think that was actually a bigger influence than for than um, like hip hop, for example. Mm. And how was like life in that age and in Chicago for you? Um, I think that time period I have very fond memories of because I was very fully expressive both at at home and at school. Um, with regard to school, I always remember school being challenging or always wanting to be, I definitely had a perfectionist streak in me until recently. And so I always remember having a lot of pressure at school and wanting to perform at a very high level, even as, even at like ages six, seven, eight, nine, right? That was, mm -hmm. I can recall that, yeah. And you, do you know the reason why? Why do you want to do it? Perform. Why do I want to be perfect. Yeah. Why do you want to be perfect? <laughs> I it has to do with control. <laughs> is it like kind of you wanted to show off your, or do you want to like be better, or do you have like kind of this competitor mindset? No, actually, I don't. So competitive is not the thing for me. I don't thrive off of competition. Um, I think for me, the perfectionist part did come into was connected to having control. And then the control was really rooted in my inability to control things in my home. As a child, we don't typically have control over things that our parents do or surroundings. And at certain points, my childhood was fairly traumatic. So at a certain point, I stopped being this sort of expressive, joyous child and became very closed off, became very quiet. And at that point, I think is when the sort of pressure to perform, the pressure to be perfect in an attempt to make home life tolerable is uh, kicked in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So when you say that kind of the controlling aspect kicked in as well, um, how did it look like then uh, at that age when you said you... Yeah, so I think there was a pretty big shift, probably we're probably about eight, nine years old. And so I, I think at that point, too, I was at a different school. Um, and actually, I think it was a bit later, I was probably like 10, 11. Still so and, but still different school. Um, and at that point, again, I, it just changed, I changed in personality, I was no longer this light, bubbly child. I became this sort of sullen, sarcastic, very serious and brooding, judgmental child preteen, mm -hmm. which might be normal for girls. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like maybe, maybe that's a normal transition for a lot of girls. <laughs> so when you say this, you know, like that kind of age from till age 10, something mm -hmm. around 10, um, 
and you say that it's this transition, you know, in this uh, age 10 to 11, would you say that the first chapter will be around the same age? So it will go towards age 10? So the question is, is this still the first chapter? Yes. Well, how long would this chapter one? Yeah, okay. So I think cha the chapters, so I think this that would be the end of chapter one. So the mm. when the transition happens of me going from like a joyous child to a more serious preteen, that's probably the serious preteen is probably stepping into chapter two. Mm. So how would you call that chapter one in that case? When you, you know, when you remember yourself dancing to hip hop and <laughs> <laughs> private medias. Um, but then also, you know, later on, you have this kind of transition towards, you know, controlling um, perfectionism. How would you call this chapter? What would be the perfect summary of this chapter? Yeah, I think it's something like playful, playful innocence. Playful innocent. Okay, great. So when I read chapter one, playful innocent, and I see the next chapter, let's say 10 years onwards, mm -hmm. 10, 11 years onwards, what would I read in that next chapter? Uh, yeah, so the next chapter I think would be much more serious and sad and <laughs> judgmental. For what reason? Um, what, what happened in there? Why yeah, sad? At that point, why serious? Uh, home life got a bit more out of control. There was... Um, issues with addiction in my family. Um, and then a as a result, in order to cope as a child, that's why I sort of became closed off, became more serious. And then specifically, I turned to religion as a way of coping. And through religion, specifically Christianity, um, I took on it was a safe haven right that was I am very grateful for that period of time and having had a sort of uh, support system in place outside of my home but out as I adopted Christianity it came through a very binary lens good and bad black and white and so I became very judgmental of others and myself um, so yeah, chapter two would be a stark transition from playful innocence to something a bit more serious. Mm -hmm. And that being a little bit more serious, how did it look like in the school? Because that's also kind of the teenage age. Yeah, so and, for uh, school, <laughs> so for school, um, that meant, well, I dressed very conservatively. So I, I was like cut like long sleeves all the time, pants or dresses all the time, all the way to the floor. Um, I was, I was a serious student. I was always a serious and like hardworking student. So that, that never changed. That's probably the one consistent thing about me. Um, my circle of friends changed. Um, so I ended up, I actually, my, my closest circle of friends especially when I entered high school, they were all Muslim because they were equally conservative as I was. Um, what else? I only listened to Christian music. I didn't listen, I didn't listen to hip hop unless it was Christian hip hop. <laughs> um, yeah, so a lot of small behaviors were affected because of 
because of sort of my <clears throat> my going really 100% into Christianity. Mm. And then I, I was going to church three times a week and I was in the church band, right? So my life became church, school, and every part of part of my being was expressed through Christianity. Mm-hmm. And how was like um, your time in the school? Um, when you look back, were you interested in specific subjects? Um, were you hating specific subjects or what was like the typical Veronica in that age, in the, in the yeah. teenage age in the school? I was a nerd and it was awesome. Um, I really liked history. Mm-hmm. I like I really I liked any subject that I could that involved reading and writing. Those are those were my strengths, those continue to be my strengths. Um, so hi- history, I was very drawn to history, specifically American history. Um, and I can't remember like a specific time period, right? Actually, the the one time period that's sticking out for me right now is probably the civil rights era. Um, but really any any kind of American history history drew my attention simply because I could sit down and read it and I could memorize it and then perform very well on tests. <laughs> so you, you, your, your capability of memorizing, memorizing things very easily that started from that age onwards. Yeah, you know, I Imagine wouldn't say it, it was easy. I just knew how to do it, right? So even if it was difficult, even... And by difficult, I mean like it required time. I just knew that it's something I could do over time. Yeah. And I saw the results. So there was enough motivation for me to do it over and over again. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when you know you can remember it, it might take yeah. just time. Then it's not necessarily important what it is you will remember when you say the different subjects, right? Right. Again, it's just the reading and writing. Yeah. So then by contrast, I really was terrible at math. (laughs) I was terrible at math and I, my bless my teachers because I had really good teachers and they would spend a lot of time with me during class, after class, supporting me and whatever it just, it's a subject that never clicked. And I'm sure at a certain point, even now I have a limiting belief that I'm just not good at math. Right. Mm. And so, and that's actually what kind of influence, there's a running joke within the law that attorneys, attorneys are the people that can't do math. And that's why they go into law. <laughs> is that really the case? Well, the I, think, I think it is. I think in some ways or it's like, a, it's the running joke, but I think there's certainly a lot of truth to it because a lot of attorneys don't do well at math. We do really well at reading and writing. So <laughs> We go into that ah, profession. <laughs> no, okay, that might be very interesting to explore. Um, yeah. What percentage um, of lawyers are good in math or not? That's very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to actually, you know, on, on Instagram a couple of weeks ago, you shared something very interesting. You, you asked the question to everyone also, like the things that make me happy are dot dot dot. Mm-hmm. What are the things for you, Veronica? What makes you happy? The things that make me happy are connection. So connection for me looks like um, specifically having like deep and authentic conversations with family, with friends, with with new people. Um, My feeling of connection is always achieved through deep communication. 
Um, and then other things that make me happy, traveling makes me happy. Um, a really nice hot cup of coffee makes me happy with a cookie. <laughs> that makes me really happy because I associate that. I associate coffee and something sweet with my upbringing. Mm. So Guatemalans, Guatemalans will always have coffee and a piece of cake after dinner. And it's something that I've done with my family in Guatemala. And it just brings back a lot of like safe and comfy memories. Nice. So yeah. it's a combination, as you say, you know, for example, with the um, traveling as well, the companion, the deep conversations during the traveling on the journey. Yeah. yeah. So did you have a, a lot of opportunities to travel? In your teenage age? Um, not a lot, but I think I was, uh, I was lucky in the sense that my parents didn't, were, weren't born in the U.S., right? So again, my, my dad was from Mexico and we had a lot of family in Mexico. My mother was from Guatemala and we had family in Guatemala. So then I think at least once a year, we would travel to see family. Um, But outside of that, I'm trying to think outside of that, we didn't travel often, but when we did, it was a big deal because I remember, I remember when I was probably, probably around 10, 11. So we're still in chapter two. That sounds right. Um, we took like three months off and drove all across the U.S., We drove all the way down through Mexico and then we drove all the way to Guatemala. So oh. it was like, so travel was a priority and whenever we didn't do it often, but whenever we did it, we made it special. So that trip took months and we went, we drove through the coast. We stopped by villages. We, oh, it was just really cool. And my sister and I were in the back of a pickup truck in the, in the camper <laughs> so that's probably not allowed the whole in way the, the, the whole day. way the whole way from Almost. the US I think we Mexico. had a mattress in the back so it was very comfortable <laughs> no question uh, I mean, don't I don't question now why you actually so into traveling yeah you, you yeah. were literally on the pickup truck in, in the back yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah traveling has always been there and then I, I will say also as part of Hispanic culture um girls when they turn 15 um they usually have a big party and my mom asked me like really a big party that's comparable to like a wedding mm -hmm. um so spending 15 20,000 dollars on this party is like no big deal or not that it's not a big deal but it's very common mm -hmm. um so my mom was like well what do you want do you want a party or do you want something else it's like i want a trip to europe so i got a trip to europe instead of a party it costs way less Wow. <laughs> and like a $20,000 party and I got to travel instead and where did you go in which um, I went country? to we went to Italy and Greece yeah nice mm -hmm. together with the family just my mom myself and my sister we left my dad behind it was just girls that's a, a proper <laughs> girl's trip <laughs> yeah <laughs> Oh, that's nice. So how come that 15, age 15, you have that? Well, I don't know, like culturally why it's 15. Mm -hmm. I really actually don't know. But I know by uh, US standards, it's the sweet 16, right? Yes. So I think it's just that sort of transition between this idea, like, 
a girl turning into a woman or getting closer to like womanhood. Um, yeah, but I don't, I actually don't know specifically why 15. Okay. That's interesting. So, um, you know, when you're saying, you know, you start a, start chapter two, age of 10, 11, um, how long would the chapter two last till what age? Yeah, so chapter two is, I think, is still, because it's defined by my transition into Christianity, and then also tied by school, I think chapter two would probably end by the time I enter college, and that's, mm. um, when did I start university? I started in 2002, so, and that, that would be about 17, I was probably like 17 years old. Mm -hmm. You mentioned earlier that you moved quite a lot or schools. Mm -hmm. Yeah, was that also quite often in that chapter two? The, uh, no, actually, chapter two was probably the most stable because, especially, so I before I hit high school, I probably was at four to five different schools at least. I think I was at least in four to five different schools. Once I hit high school, that was I was in high, the same high school for four years, and that was pretty, that was very stable. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and things just remain stable after that. Mm -hmm. I see. So when you say age 10 to 17, um, what would that chapter two be called? Yeah. Chapter one is Playful <laughs> Innocent. That's such a weird chapter. Um, I think it has to be something like, I don't know, Innocence Lost and Something with judgment. We talked about this last time. There was something with judgment because I was so judgmental at that time. So, and you said judgment. innocence replaced by judgment. Something like that. Playful judgment. <laughs> yeah, playful. There is no play there, so it might just be judgment. <laughs> it could be. So when you say um, you were very judgmental, um, can you explain more, like in terms of how, like judgmental towards what? I was judgmental people, towards or... everybody, specifically people. <laughs> yeah, no, and it was, again, through the lens of Christianity, I, I sort of had, I had the rule book, I had the Bible, this is how people should act, and if you weren't acting in accordance to this, you were wrong, mm -hmm. and so that's where the judgment came in. I felt as though I knew what was right and wrong for everybody. And if you weren't doing it, then I was judging you. Mm -hmm. yeah. how, how did that came across for the other people in that time? <laughs> My family was very patient with me. <laughs> um, well, so I think it became, honestly, I think people, uh, I'm lucky that I have such a loving family because they were patient with me throughout that phase. Um, and then with regard to friends, actually with regard to friends, I found people who were equally judgmental. <laughs> so it wasn't a problem. It, I think the, the only issue was probably with my family when they were just, you know, going through a phase where they had to be patient with, with who I was at that time. Mm. So chapter two, judgmental. Mm -hmm. till age 17. So what happened afterwards? Then I went to university. 
Um, the judgment continues, but it's also in this phase where I sort of hit an identity crisis because um, as I, I actually chose to study one of my one of my areas of focus at university was was Christianity. And so the more I learned about Christianity from a theological and historical perspective, the less I started to believe in it. Um, at least on the spiritual level, like to me, it, it then just became another book and it's history, right? And so history is written by man. And when you take away the, the mythology, the, the magic, let's say, behind religion, it's just specifically men writing a book from their perspective. And I was like, this is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't believe this anymore, right? I don't believe mm. this. And there was so much contradicting contradicting information within these texts um, that I think it was going into my third or fourth year of university that it just I started believing less and less in Christianity and that led to an identity crisis of sorts because my identity was very strongly tied to being Christian. Hmm. and yeah so that led to a pretty big shift and it was very it was very what's the word it was very disruptive it was a very disruptive time for me personally mm -hmm. so when you say disruptive disruptive in the terms of like your own values belief yeah systems, yeah all, um, all of that future everything Mm -hmm. values beliefs yeah actually all of that because if all of my at the time all my values and beliefs were based in christianity and if i was pulling away from christianity then it just i didn't know who i was how how am i now going to define myself and with regard to future somewhere in my mind i had thought like you know i'm going to be a missionary i'm going to spread the gospel to other countries and that that stopped too um and what's interesting now that i now that i bring that up at a certain point yeah this is super interesting i'm sort of getting a flashback so at a certain point i did think like i'm going to be a missionary but somewhere along the line I, then then the idea of becoming an attorney came to mind and I, I can recall a moment where I'm sitting in my dorm room and I'm praying. And then all of a sudden I get this sort of inspired thought at that time. I, at that time I would have said like, this is God speaking to me. Now I say it's inspired thought. Um, and it was just like, you're going to be an attorney. Out of the blue. Yeah. Just out of the blue. And I was like, okay, guess I'm going to law school. <laughs> wow. So how was that situation? And you know, in, you said you did study at the university of Christianity. So yeah. at that time where you kind of, you know, the identity crisis started, you did study a parallel as well, a subject where you kind of not believed into it to that dimension. Yeah. And what's so ironic how... is that the, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead, go ahead. No, just thinking that what's ironic is that of course, the more that I studied it, the less and less I actually believed it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then by, by parallel, I also was studying political science. Mm -hmm. So they did sort of go, they were running parallel. 
Um, who knows? I, I, actually, I guess I'm grateful that the identity crisis came because how would I, how would I have merged being a missionary and an attorney? <laughs> I don't know. Um, so once the missionary part fell by the wayside, then I guess I could just completely focus on the law. And I, I was prepping myself for that through the political science degree. Mm -hmm. So when you had that moment, you know, you pray and kind of had that thought of attorney. Have you, did you come across law? in the past? Did you learn something about it or was it a complete new subject for you? It was a completely new subject. I think my only, my only point of familiarity with law was just, you know, when, when, when you're a child and people ask you, what do you want to be? People will just feed you like, oh, you should be a lawyer. You should be an engineer. You should be a doctor, right? Like just the things that they threw out there. But I didn't have anybody in my family who was an attorney. We never... Luckily, we never got in trouble with the law, right? Like, I don't, I don't know what that was like. Um, yeah, I didn't know friends were attorneys. It was just kind of came out of nowhere, really. And what happened then? So you had this thought and then literally from one day to another, like you literally focused entirely on it or was it kind of a process? Well, it was still a process because I was... I'm thinking that this is probably somewhere along the lines of my third year at university. So I had already chosen, right? I had already chosen political science and Christianity. And so one aspect of me is that once I make a decision, I commit to it. So I was committed, even though I didn't really believe in the Christianity bit anymore, I'm still committed and I'm committed to getting both of these degrees. So then I just continued with both. Okay, so you finished it. Yeah, I finished. Study. And then what happened afterwards? Then I went to law school. <laughs> straight after. Straight after. I didn't take any time Not... off. I went straight ah, after. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So at that time, were you interested in a specific area in law or you wanted to just, you know, dig deeper at a later, later stage? Um, at that point, um, I was interested in real estate law and property law. And I did have it in mind that I would, I would be a real estate attorney, right? So I'd help people purchase and sell their homes. I would do their closings, that whole process, you know, pretty simple <laughs> ambition, actually. Um, but actually, let me step back a bit. That, that was probably when I was already in law school. I think the, the catalyst behind wanting to go to law school was actually a, a larger picture and wanting to sort of help and serve people in general because there's this concept that like there's justice in the law and so I think that was a point of inspiration like I want to go and help people and then the real estate idea probably came much more practically when I was already in law school and I was like oh okay I should probably choose something to focus in mm. yeah. you, when you're saying that we're interested in helping um, other people was that a pattern already in the previous years? Uh, for let's say, when you say missionary or you know Christianity, yeah. you know helping others to to help them to guide them in a specific direction. Was it a oh yeah, one hundred percent? And I love that you tied back the word guide, right? Because uh, my book is like a travel guide. Let's say yes. Um, so yes help has always helping others has always been a consistent theme in my life so 
when I was Christian and wanted to be a missionary in my mind, that was a way of me helping others by bringing them to Christ, by bringing saved. Right. Mm -hmm. And then with the law, it was similar. Um, yeah. And I think at a certain point it was very much, I'm going to help people. I'm going to help, um, I'm going to help them solve their issues. And in, in a much broader context, it was probably just like, I'm going to help bring justice in some way to this world. Um, and even now that's a consistent theme because as a coach, I enjoy helping people. I, I enjoy helping people build their lives, maximize potential, right? Optimize their career. And those are all really like general vague terms, but generally I just like helping, helping people achieve what they want to achieve. Mm. I mean, you're saying it on your website, um, you know, you want to maximize the personal and professional potential without burning out. Yeah. Yeah. So not just maximizing potential, but also on a smooth path towards without burning out or without. Yeah. And that's yeah. really, that's an eye towards well-being, right? That sort of work-life balance that's almost impossible for people to achieve, um, at least Americans, um, that's very difficult for Americans to achieve because we don't have the same protections um, that European countries do for their employees, for, mm. for employees. Um, so yeah, how do you, how do you maximize personal and professional potential while still keeping yourself sane, while still being like focusing on your well-being and not burning out? Mm, very important combination, actually. Yeah. Um, so how long did you, how long were you in the law school? Uh, so law school in the U.S. is three years. Three years. So how was that time for you then in the law school? Law school was like, I completely shed my Christian identity and it was just wild time. <laughs> um, so law school kicked my ass with regard to academics. Like that was probably one of the hardest periods of my life on a intellectual level which also led to a sort of shift in identity because previously I had always been a high performing student and I always had to put in a lot of effort to achieve that status. But once I got to law school, that was the first time that the effort and the status did not go hand in hand. So I would study for hours. I would really just study nonstop and I was still very average. Um, so that was really difficult to deal with. That was very difficult to grapple with. And I, because if I'm an average student, then what does that mean? That meant I wasn't good enough at the time. <laughs> but knowing you, that would be, you kind of encourage you to study even more. You know, your controlling mindset then kicks in. Yeah, right? yeah. And I made it, but I was actually very, so I, I was a very average law student because, and I, I'll just, simply note the fact that law school is a very unfair system. Um, and it's, especially the first year of law school, they only give out like 10 A's. That's the most, and A, A is the top note, right? A, A, B, C, D, F. Those are the notes um, in the US. So out of a class of 60, they're only allowed to give out like, let's just start a number like eight A's. So even though you have the right points to give you an A. If you, if they've already give, given out eight of them, then you're going to get a B. 
it's just an unfair system. And it really pisses me off just even thinking about it now. It's just completely unfair. And so I, I never made it all the way to the top and I was just very average. And then I, I, everything, oh, I'm getting mad just thinking about it. Like, then you later found out that like kids were on Adderall and kids were on speed and they had all these unfair advantages. I'm like, I'm just trying to do this normally without any drugs. (laughs) No doping. No No doping. doping. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So now it makes sense why it was average if people are taking all these performance enhancing drugs and I'm like, just trying to study and put time in. Hmm. (laughs) So you said that uh, the law school time was a wild time as well. Yeah, it was wild. So a whole different transition, you know, going from the couple of years back, you know, from kind Mm of that different lifestyle as well. Yes. So Right. So then the wild part was simply I was drinking now. I was dancing again. I had a very strong sense of community within the law school. We were all suffering together. And um, there's just, a, there's also just a lot of drinking, like the, the law, um, it just, unfortunately there's very high addiction rates in the law. And I can see why now, because every event is followed by an all you can drink event. And considering the level of stress that people have in law school and as attorneys, you just end up drinking all the time. And that's where the wildness came in because I would just be going out a lot, just studying a lot and then going out a lot yeah i mean it's very common actually uh, for law students to to keep their addiction to to alcohol and then throughout yeah. their entire life you know even yes. in their career and yes. then actually her, their career kind of you know breaks apart through the other addiction eventually yeah. yes but there's yeah. a lot of high functioning alcoholics and addicts within the law too so yeah yeah so this wild time lasted for three years. <laughs> what happened afterwards once you finished the law school? Um, after I finished law school, then I, w- I got married. I was actually, I got married in my last year of law school and I became a lawyer, right? So then. Is that that the moment where, let's say, you know, when we just look, going back on chapter three, for example, is that then mm-hmm. the beginning of a new chapter in the marriage and uh, becoming a lawyer? Yeah, that certainly could be, although it does seem to be sort of the theme connects because I would say the early years of my marriage and the early years of my legal profession, you were, we were still drinking and partying a lot. The only difference was that we were earning money this time around. And so it was more fun (laughs) because then we could like rent a boat and go out on the lake and then we could go to like summer houses and I don't know, spend a lot of money at clubs. <laughs> now you had the money for spending it. So now we had the money to actually party on a more sophisticated level. <laughs> so you said you, you became then the lawyer as well. Mm-hmm. So in Chicago? In Chicago. In Chicago yeah. as well. Yeah. Was it a big company or big law firm or? Um, so the first year out of law school, I worked for a nonprofit organization. And it was, the organization itself was actually quite large. I think we had probably across the entire city, we probably had about 60 attorneys. Uh, but the specific office, office that I worked in had maybe like 10 attorneys. 
and I helped, um, I did mortgage foreclosure defense. So that meant that I helped people keep their homes at, during the height of the recession. So here in the US, a lot of people lo were losing their homes to foreclosure and I was defending them against the banks who were trying to seize the properties. Um, so it was, it was actually rewarding work, but it was very emotionally taxing. And working with a nonprofit me meant that we had limited resources so I couldn't always help my clients. And after a year of that, I quit because it was just, it was too emotional for me. And then I transitioned to um, investigative work and was hired by a large law firm in Chicago or headquarters in Chicago. And to give you an idea, I think headquarters has something like three or 400 attorneys just there alone. Um, and that was much better. I got paid a lot better. The resources were there. It was much more structured. It was a beautiful building, like just the office building itself was beautiful, a lot of perks. Um, and I managed to stay there for six years. But it was it was a lot of it was a lot of work. So if you think of anybody who's like billing, I think our billing billing requirement was 2000 hours a year. And that works out to 40 hours of billable work a week mm -hmm. with no vacation, no breaks. And also considering that billing billable time isn't always, you can't bill all of your time. So mm -hmm. that really translates to about 50, 60 hour work weeks. Mm -hmm. So how was, how was that for you? 50, 60 hour work weeks over that long time period of six years? Um, I think there were certain periods of time where it was, it was definitely okay. I enjoyed my work. And so it was fine. Um, I think towards the end it, yeah, I would say getting into my fifth year, it sort of, it just became unbearable on in part because I no longer enjoyed the work. And so dedicating that much time was really draining. It was really draining. And um, the pressure was high. The stress was high. And at a certain point, it became too much for me, even physically, because I fainted in the office just from the stress. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about burnout. This is why I also like helping people avoid burnout. I just wanted to, to bridge that because I, could, yeah. I can see that you talk from your experience as well, obviously, you know, going from that side. So going in chapter three, you know, chapter three kind of started with age 18 plus. Mm -hmm. So how long would the chapter three last? Including three. Yeah. So I think chapter three would probably last until, again, I like to sort of tie it into school. So let's just say after law school. So once I graduated mm -hmm. law school, that's probably the end of chapter three. And yeah, we can call, what's chapter three called? Is that going to be the question? It could be the next question. I mean, we're starting from chapter two about judgmental. <laughs> uh, being very judgmental and then uh, chapter three I mean in chapter three you were in university the law firm marriage then um, that kind of identity crisis also took place in chapter three yeah I think even just hearing you say all that it just seems like a very transitional time so that mm -hmm. might be the that might be the title for chapter three transitions mm -hmm. yeah so when you're looking back uh, is it moving or is it transition to a better or to a, or to a more positive side or more to a negative side um 
definitely transitioning to a more positive side, but it's, there's a, within the, I think within any transition, actually life or career, there's a certain amount of pain that comes as a result because you're dealing with a lot of uncertain uncertainty. You're dealing with a lot of unknown. And unless you have a very high emotional awareness and resilience, those are all painful parts of life. Mm. Yeah. So when you're saying pain, when you look back in chapter three, what have you learned from that pain? I think with with every experience of pain, and for me, that's tied to periods of transition, I think there is a deeper sense of, a deeper sense of self, uh, self-awareness, right? The sort of deeper sense of like, I get to know who I am more and more and really true I who am, like that sort of authentic, authentic self. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And how would you define that authentic self? What does it mean for you with the definition of being, now you're finding your authentic self. What does it mean to you? I mean, for me specifically, that actually that actually has meant and continues to mean going back to that childlike innocence, right? Going back to that playful, um, joyous child because everything else in between was just sort of smothering. (laughs) That's what a word to use, smothering. Everything else was sort of smothering this joyous child. And so for me being a more authentic, my most authentic self means you know, being the adult, but also giving myself the space and room to still be childlike. So focusing on what makes me happy, focusing on what brings me joy and making time and space for those things. Making space for those things. Is that something that you focused after the law film? Oh, 100%. Because that was so in addition to sort of fainting at work. (laughs) And then I was like, you know, I should really not be doing this anymore. Um, And it wasn't just work alone. At the time, I was separated from my husband. And I think at that point, we may have been already been going through the divorce. And so it was a huge transitional period. So yeah, I made a lot of space after that time for myself, for what I wanted to do, for the things that brought me joy. And that ended up being traveling, right? So we mentioned uh, very early on that I spent a year traveling and it was shortly after the sort of fainting spell at work and the divorce that I was like, well, it's time for me to travel. (laughs) Remember from the previous recording, what we had is like um, previous discussion, you know, when you said traveling, I mean, you traveled around the world, right? or yes. different locations with yes. other people as well. Mm-hmm. So literally that, as you say, like in the company or the community around in combination with traveling, that kind of right. excited you quite a lot that time. Yes, yeah. yes, because so then tying it back to something we even mentioned earlier, um, one of my top values, and really if I'm expressing my most authentic self, that is through connection and connecting with myself and connecting with others. And so traveling with a community, well, that was a huge form of connection and really connections that you that are so that are so unique, 
because when else in your life are you traveling with the same group of people for 12 months mm. and going to a different country every month? Ugh, I'm so lucky. <laughs> so lucky that I got to do that. You mentioned, I mean, from the very beginning, you said like travel section, you know, and I was like thinking, what is travel for you? What is your definition of travel? Yeah, okay, that's a good question. So certainly um, it encompasses the sort of generic idea that you're, you are transporting yourself to a different location. Um, um, so being physically in a different place and certainly, I don't know, should I, I kind of want to make that broader now. That's probably transporting yourself somewhere differently mentally, right? Like you're sort of traveling your mind. Oh, that's so corny. I'm going to take that back. <laughs> I'm going to take that back. That's so dumb. <laughs> um, no, I mean, tra travel to me, just like you're, you're physically in a different place. And I think by virtue of putting yourself in a, in a different physical location, there's a lot of different effects that happen, right? Because your mind is working in a different, in a different way, you are adapting to your environment. And so it just has a ripple effect on everything. Mm. So looking back to that one year where, where you traveled, um, what did you learn at that time? Um, this one I, year? I learned how to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Like just being out of place not understanding, not the unknown uncertainty. Like just, I, I was able to get comfortable with discomfort on so many different levels. <laughs> Do you remember kind of a moment where that kind of <laughs> yeah. applies to? I mean, the, the first thing that comes to mind and it's so silly, but I just, re I remember being in Kyoto, Japan and <laughs> For some reason, you can open doors in so many different ways in Kyoto, or and probably in Japan everywhere, but I was in Kyoto, right? So then like you can open a door by pulling it, you can open a door by pushing it, you can open a door by sliding it, right? And you never knew exactly what door you were facing. So there were very often times where I was like pushing, but you had to pull and the sliding and I was like, I can't, I can't get out of here. <laughs> So that's a very small but silly example of just like <laughs> little things that you don't know what to do. And then you just allow yourself to look stupid <laughs> and you're like, oh, I, I'll, I'll figure it out. <laughs> that's very funny. I mean, it sounds to me like, you know, it's, it's so easy to tell someone just unlock the door. But when you don't know how to unlock or you can't, yeah. don't know, open the door. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. it's very interesting. Um, do you have other memories as well where you say <laughs> this is, could be a great metaphor? from or something which you 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 kind of a metaphor of from a learning um during the traveling time wait what what's the question say the question so, the you know when you travel for one year were there moments where you said this was so typical this was a great learning experience mm, let's say this mm -hmm. was a great learning experience which then you know made me kind of yeah yeah okay well I'll, I'll tie it into sort of um the judgment the judgment chapter right so in the past i would usually think like this is right and wrong right mm -hmm. through traveling and this is the beauty of traveling when you go to a different place and you just observe that things can be done differently you stop looking at things in such a binary way it's not right or wrong it's simply different and it's only different because you haven't been exposed to it to it yet 
So I'll give a very concrete example, like in grocery stores here in the U.S. And I think for the most part in, in Munich, I'll say, I haven't been in a lot of places in Germany. Um, when you're grabbing your fruit or your vegetables, you put them in a bag and then you take them up to the checkout line. In other cities and other countries, you grab your fruit and you weigh it and put the ticket on there before you take it up to the to checkout, right? Or in other countries, you can't weigh your own food. You have to find a person to weigh the food. They put the ticket on and then you take it to get checked out. I mean, none of this is right or wrong. It's just different. But I think having lived those small experiences over and over again, you're just like, okay, nothing is right or wrong. It's just simply different and new to me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very like the judgmental part of me would have been dying. They're like, why do they do this? This is wrong. This is so dumb, right? And I, I mean, I'll catch myself. Like sometimes, sometimes I was just really tired of everything being different. I was like, oh, why can't this just be the same? <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's something that travel has consistently cemented in my mind that things are not right or wrong. They're simply different. And you mm. have to put yourself in a, in a mental state to be willing to learn what those differences are. I think it's also a great reminder of where you are when you see these differences, you know, just to recall yourself or remind yourself where you are right now. Because often, you know, we take everything for granted where we are right now, even if it's a complete strange location. But yeah. it's, it's a great reminder that things are just different here, not necessarily better or worse, but it's just a reminder of where you are, that you maybe are happy to be here, you know, and uh, other people might not be able to be there, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. That's true. Yeah. So is chapter four all about this one year traveling or will there mm-hmm. be more? More. What, what else would I read in that chapter? Um, Actually, I think chapter four would probably also include, well, actually chapter four, yeah, let's limit that to like the year of travel because that was a pretty huge, huge life experience. Um, And I'm, and if we're stepping into a different chapter, I think we're getting close to like my present state. So where I currently am now. And I, that that would be then chapter five, right? Mm -hmm. So chapter five would then be, the beginning at uh, the end of that one year starting into kind of the focus the present, uh, moment. The present moment more the coaching area mm-hmm. okay so walk me through what would i then read in chapter five so chapter five i think would include so that would be the end of my year of travel that would include also a time of transition when i moved to munich um So chapter five would also include, uh, it would include the move to Munich, but it would include the pandemic because my move to Munich was delayed by six months because of the pandemic. I was in the U.S. at the time and uh, Europe closed its borders to tourists. And so I no longer had a way to get in. And so I had to, I had to problem solve. (laughs) And I problem solved by applying to a master's program so that I could get the student exception to the travel ban. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That that was about the coaching. That's not coaching. That's just me getting into Munich. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So, so, but you had before also already done some kind of coaching training, right? Yeah. So the coaching training, 
yeah okay so then this chapter would also include that period of time so let's uh rewind then i'm trying to think of the year <clears throat> 2018 it was probably eight august 2019 <clears throat> when i when i started a coaching program i was still in chicago at that time with the eye of moving to germany so i specifically chose a coaching training program that had international locations. Uh, but then the pandemic hit and everything went virtual, so it didn't matter. <laughs> Things you couldn't forecast at that time. I really yeah. Forecast. But wh why did you choose to focus more on coaching? What made you? Uh, um, yes. So, so tying in some, some references to chapter four, when I was in this year of travel, a lot of that time was spent, um, I did a lot of self work on myself. <clears throat> and I tied that to my career because I knew that I didn't want to practice law. During this year of travel, I only worked and practiced law for maybe a couple months. And that was just for the sake of having enough money to, to keep going. Um, so a lot of my time was spent on like, okay, if it's not the law, then what do I want to focus on? And I did a whole bunch of like career, I read a whole bunch of career books, I did informational interviews. Um, I spent a lot of time also digging into what my strengths are, what my what makes me happy, what lights me up, what energizes me and how can I tie that into a career. And I landed on coaching and I landed on coaching. Um, Again, because of this connection, this sort of high value of connecting with others and also just sort of highlighting my strengths, even as a, even as an attorney, actually, I could always make my clients feel very safe, very quickly. Um, and that's something that I still do with my clients now as a coach. So there is an inherent quality that I have to make people feel comfortable. Um, and so once, you know, once I landed on coaching, then it was just a matter of picking the program so that I could be trained properly. Mm -hmm. How did you choose in the beginning? Um, what made you choose a specific direction in coaching? Um, you're coming from a, from a former attorney kind of background. Um, mm -hmm. You also call yourself a well-being advocate as well. I mean, you, you kind of... Um, helping you know from the personal or professional side to increase that potential as well without as you said without burning out so what made you choose a specific direction in coaching a specific target audience or something like this well it did it does still tie to my personal experience so <clears throat> um coaching really coaching in the sense that like i just enjoy again helping people um, and then tying well-being into it is, is from my experience of getting to the point where I was physically and mentally drained and, and lost myself in my profession. And so the coaching that I would, that I do now, well, it's interesting, right? Because the well-being part has sort of infused in all areas of my coaching practice because I think in, I think coaching is actually inherently tied to well-being because you're giving your clients a space to speak their mind freely, 
without judgment. And there's just, there's very little spaces for people to do that in. So just doing that alone where people can pause and reflect, I have found that to be very, my, very valuable for my clients. Um, and then I get, it's a little corny, but I'm tying it back to like what my website says, right? Like maximizing personal and professional potential. That's just, you're just, I'm just reminding you of who you are and making sure that you stay on track. Because if you tell me that I want work-life balance, great. What does that mean for you? What does that look like? And week after week, we're checking in. How's that work-life balance going? You worked 80 hours last week. What happened? Right? Mm. Where, what's making you compromise your goal of achieving work-life balance? Um, so I don't know if that specifically answers your question, but that's, that's what's coming up mm. for me right now. Yeah. Looking back um, the last one or two years, um, I mean, you moved to Munich in September last year. How was that transition for you? Going from Within the US to Munich. from Munich to Germany <laughs> and uh, in Corona times as well. How was that moment as well? While at the same time building your coaching career. Um. So yes. Yeah, so building my coaching career had to kind of be on pause until I felt a bit more settled in Munich, which really only took a couple months. Um, the transition to Munich itself was fairly easy. At the time, I was in a relationship, so I simply moved in with my boyfriend and. The lockdown actually made it really easy too, because there simply wasn't anything to do. Um, so I was in a, I was in my own bubble with my boyfriend at the time, and so that that was easy, but also that was challenging as well because you know you move to a new city city with the hope of being able to explore and meet new people, and the pandemic sort of took that away. Um, it's still very much possible. Like, you know, I, I got connected to Tuesday and I've, I've made effort to meet people even virtually. And luckily I, I've given the circumstances I've done actually fairly well because I've created a social circle for myself. Um, so the lockdown in some ways made the transition very easy. And then in other ways made it a bit more challenging with regard to the coaching business. I think that has made it a bit more challenging simply because um, there is less interaction with people and there's less opportunity than to simply say, Hey, I'm a career and life coach, you know, and I can help you do X, Y, Z. So everything is much is less organic and much more, um, purposeful, mm. way, whatever the opposite of organic is. I don't know what that word would be inorganic. Mm -hmm. So what have you learned in the last one or two years when you started now that for being more kind of working on your coaching career? What personally have you learned? Personally, I have learned that I am learning to sort of love myself unconditionally. And the way that it ties to this sort of coaching business is that as an entrepreneur, and I'll say specifically as a female entrepreneur, because as I'm coaching more men and more women as I'm coaching more people I can see the distinctions between like the male brain and the female brain women are much more self-judged they judge themselves much more easily and that inner critic speaks much more loudly in women um 
based on my experience, right? I'm not going to make generalizations or make stereotypes, but in my personal experience and the experience that I have with coaching, um, women just are so much more, so much harder on themselves. So I am learning to love myself unconditionally as I build my business, because as I face rejection, I'm not internalizing that anymore. As I approach learning new materials and learning new tactics, I'm not internalizing that anymore. Um, and now I'm just, yeah, I'm just being nicer to myself. You're like, oh, well that approach didn't work. And that consult didn't <laughs> turn out to be good. Guess what? I learned something going on to the next one. Right. So <laughs> yeah. see more the bright side rather than the negative side, always see the, it, see the it, gift in everything what happens. I, I guess like, I, I actually, that doesn't, that doesn't even sound right to me. Like I, I don't, I, I'm not a fan of like put a positive spin on everything. I, mm. I don't like that. I don't think that's healthy negativity, uh, feeling negative emotions, that's part of being human. Um, my process has been like, can I accept the negative feelings, the negative emotions, and just let them be, right? Be comfortable with the uncomfortable. They'll pass eventually. And yeah, sure, then you can transition to something more positive. But I don't know, to, to, to say like, oh, just always look on the bright side or always look on the positive mm. side. Like, hey, th there's value in being uncomfortable. There's value in experience negative emotions. There is value in not feeling your best. Yeah, I mean, when you're always looking on the bright side, you're obviously, you know, trying to prevent looking into that learning experience on that right. negative side. Actually, that's a learning where you can get out. But when you're always looking on the positive side, you never gain the right. insights from what the, happened even exactly if the intention thing. has to be different and i and i apologize because i think i made an assumption right the, my assumption was like there's a denial so people who are people who only want to look on the positive side usually that is connected with i don't i want to deny the negative stuff and i want to just ignore suppress repress and that's so unhealthy that's so unhealthy <laughs> so I mean, looking back the last few years uh, towards the present moment, the chapter mm -hmm. five. Mm -hmm. So is the chapter five all about the coaching, moving to Munich, um, building more or less the coaching career? Yeah, that's enough. That's enough for chapter that's five. Enough. That's a lot. I moved <laughs> to another country. <laughs> I'm lot. learning German, but that's that's interesting. <laughs> Can be a whole different book. Yeah. Um, so how would you call that chapter five in that case um chapter five yeah what would that be called so we're coming from the year of traveling uh chapter four mm -hmm. shifting towards coaching how would you summarize the last few years yeah i want it to be something like fierce love um because all all of every step that I've taken and in this chapter has been in an effort to get closer to who I believe I am. And to me, that's like a deepening of, of self-love. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Interesting. And obviously that's what you want to transfer towards your clients as well. Yeah. That's, yeah guide them, support them, mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. 
So how is your next chapter looking like, Veronica? Oh, man. Looking into the future. Yeah, looking into the future. That's a bit unclear at the moment. So I think for me personally, some things have shifted. And so there's only short-term clarity, and I'm okay with that. So the next chapter, maybe the next chapter is going to be short, and it's just going to be like short-term short-term plan <laughs> it's maybe another transition chapter as well i mean when you when i looked back into that other chapters there were always this kind of shift a transition mm -hmm. if it's a sh one year kind of you know for traveling or if it's like you know shifting from chapter one to chapter two you know when we had this kind of belief change uh, christianity as well and then it was kind of a transition maybe that is also another transition chapter yeah towards something else it may be. So that's to be determined to for be now. Determined. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's the next chapter to be determined. Um, yeah, for now, it's just um, my immediate plan is to stay in Munich until the end of the year. And I'm, I'm, I want to escape the winter. That would be lovely. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Somewhere warm. And then, um, and then there's possibly a move to Berlin. Mm -hmm. So still within Germany, but um, not Munich. So you will be kind of shifting we'll location see. within the German speaking environment. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I have to, I, I'd like to keep Germany, Germany and German, um, a consistent theme for a while. So there's boundaries to the sort of to be determined phase. Nice. So when I'm now looking into the book and, um, you know, in every book, there's this copyright section as well. Do you want, but when we twisting that around, instead of not copying, if you encourage other people just to, to, you know, give them advice, you know, kind of learnings, what learnings would you give to the reader? Um, book? I would, yeah, that's great. Um, just do more of what you love. I think that's probably really, really simple. Just do, do more of what you love, do more of what makes you happy. And a, a big theme in my life right now is just acceptance. And it goes back to a little bit of what we were talking about when it comes to like the sort of idea that of negative and positive emotions, even negative and positive thoughts, like we're just human. This is all part of being human and nothing is wrong. This is all simply part of the process. Um, and like, if you think about generally, like life is just a huge process. And just because things sort of don't go as planned doesn't mean that anything is wrong. It's just simply part of the process. So then just have fun and just do what you love, <laughs> do what we want. <laughs> live in the moment and not live in the worries of the past or the future. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. So um, now in that very last chapter, you know, when you kind of in the copyright section, you know, have fun live in the moment, um, there's nothing right and wrong. It's all part of the process. Um, and I'm kind of closing the book now and I'm seeing like the back cover. Mm -hmm. What do I see on the back cover? I think it's probably still similar to the front cover. Just, just super joyous, like a huge smile. So me, huge, big curly hair, just laughing. <laughs> Is there a specific color like pointing on the background color or is that the book a specific color which you know catch my eye or is it something 
I don't know. Is it yeah. on purpose not colorful? I don't know. Or is it like, I don't know, black and white? I don't know. What? Yeah, so the color, the, fr the first color that came to mind was red. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know that I would be particularly attracted to a red book, but that's the first color that popped into my head. Like there's just sort of like a, I don't know, I, I associate sort of strength with red. So there's a, yeah. Strength, okay. Let's go with red. Mm -hmm. And when I, let's say, in, you know, I'm in a bookshelf and I see that red book and I take it, I did it earlier and then looking to that front cover and I see you smiling with a lot of joy. Maybe it's a red background, for example. What would I what would be the ultimate title of your life book if you summarize the last three uh, chapters? I want it to just be like do do what you love. Do what you want. Really, <laughs> I want it to be like just do what you want. <laughs> do what you want. Yeah. Or something like, yeah, do more, do more of what you love. Mm -hmm. Something like that. Do what you want. And find what makes you smile. Find what makes you happy. Yeah. Find more what you what makes you happy. That's great. Awesome. So question I have is, you know, with all looking at all these kind of chapters. Um, you know, going from chapter one, two, three, five, and then and you know, from the tra traveling section that one year traveling towards the coaching you said that the book should be in the travel and adventure section it's a mm -hmm. guide mm -hmm. um can you quickly again tell me like what is for you guidance what does it mean for you when you guide someone so i think guidance for me it does go hand in hand with my definition of coaching which is really just support um which is actually different from what I think most people ex expect when it comes to guidance and when it comes to coaching. A lot of people expect that you're going to tell them what to do. And sometimes you do, you do that with clients, right? But more than not, you're just supporting people and helping them figure out what they want for themselves. Um, and so in that way, it's, it's support more than more than telling people what to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where would people find more information about you? I'll direct people to my Instagram account at Veronica Lopez coaching, because that's usually where I have the most fun. Um, so I'll share tips like coaching tips on there. I'll show, share client stories on there. And then you get a glimpse into like what my personal life is. I'm hoping that'll be more interesting going forward, especially once, once lockdown eases. Um, <laughs> but you know, for a while, it's just been not much. <laughs> it's just been coaching stuff on there. <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting that you say on Instagram, you also give, you know, the viewers a glimpse in your life as well. Mm -hmm. It sounds to me like being very authentic as well, you know, being authentic. Yeah, and I and I, I I value that, right? I think that's super important. So I like sharing my personal small wins. I like sharing my personal struggles because a big theme in my coaching is simply like whatever you're thinking, whatever you're feeling, even when it feels like you're the only one, you're not. And so I, I like to be vulnerable and especially 
especially on social media, right? Where, where you have this image of perfectionism. I like to share the vulnerable moments and when things aren't going well for me, because it's important for people to see that so that they also know they're not alone. Life isn't perfect and that's okay. <laughs> and of a reflection on coaching as well. The yeah. need of coaching to admit as well that certain things need to be, yeah, accepted first. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Great. Veronica, thank you so much for the book, for the life book. Um, do more of what you, what you want. Uh, the book is the five chapters. Um, I can't wait for that next chapter that could be determined <laughs> kind of chapter, but interesting to see what will be then in the next chapter in chapter six. Yeah. And, and check in with you later on as well to see, my, let's see what happened in chapter six. What is yeah, that? And the kind of the, the flow in this each of the chapters. All right. So thank you so much, Veronica, for your time again for welcome. that second recording. Uh, I remember in the very beginning, you said you were a little bit tired because you're kind of jet lagged, but I can see that not at all. The light came back into my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you, Daniel, because you're the one that brought that out with this podcast. So thank <laughs> you for letting me be a part of this. Thank you, Veronica. Thank you so much. Thanks. Yeah. Kind of very interesting life journey, isn't it? Going from a former attorney towards becoming a life coach. In fact, I can see that so many times with so many other coaches, making a 360 degree change in their career to really find what fulfills them. So if you want to learn a little bit more about Veronica Lopez, you can go on her website and on LinkedIn, you can see the links in the show notes on her website and you can also reach out to her. So hope you enjoyed this podcast and this episode 36 is Veronica with the title Do What You Want. Looking forward to her seeing you back next time for the next episode. Till then, take care and speak soon.